Welcome to the 26th episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is how this former Merrill Insider once drank the Kool-Aid, then set out to build a better toolbox. A conversation with Jim Dixon, founder and president of Sanctuary Wealth Partners. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. We're very lucky to have access to some of the best and brightest in the independent wealth management space. And today's guest is a great example. Jim Dixon is the founder and president of Sanctuary Wealth Partners, an innovative, independent division of Noise Group, LLC. It's a unique quasi-independent model that offers advisors support in all aspects of serving clients and growing their businesses. It's representative of an ever-growing group of boutique firms structured as hybrid RIAs that allow advisors to own 100% of their own business while having the benefits of a firm that will support them completely and give a sense of community and equity in the overall company. Jim is a former Merrill Lynch division leader who spent 20 years building and leading individual advisors and teams. During that time, he gathered experience in defining what advisors really want and need to succeed. So he built Sanctuary with a goal to take that knowledge and create a quasi-independent firm that would bring together an elite group of experienced wealth advisors and provide access to the best of all worlds, community, infrastructure, cutting-edge technology, and a robust platform. Jim is an entrepreneur at heart and an investor in several successful startups. He knows firsthand the importance of having the right leadership at the helm and how that impacts stability, the ability to serve clients, and the opportunity to grow. So let's jump right into our conversation. Jim, thank you so very much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. Oh, Mindy, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. I've been following your work for a long time, and it's really exciting to uh, be with you today. Thank you. So let's jump right in. I want to ask you about Sanctuary because I know it's had some recent successes. But before we jump in, I have to deal with the elephant in the room. You were a well-respected leader, a 20-year veteran, in fact, at Merrill. What made you join the Breakaway Advisor Movement and launch Sanctuary Wealth Partners? Well, Mindy, that's a great question and one I get asked often. You know, the reality was I had an amazing 20-year career at Merrill Lynch. It's a great firm and still a lot of great friends and and people there that I respect. But I also saw the business changing. And, you know, as I began to be curious and look at the business and see what was happening, you know, I don't think you can argue with the facts. And the facts were that if you looked at movement or movers, if you will, almost seven out of 10 were were going to the independent space. And if you looked a little further, 93% of those people uh, in the Schwab sophomore study were very happy with their move. And so as I looked at where the business was and where the business was going, it had changed so much uh, over the prior eight years. I just felt like the future was in the independent space. And that was really the best opportunity for me to build something, which is what I wanted to do, but was also the best place for advisors and clients. And so I thought that Crossroads made a great opportunity for to, to build a great business. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting to me because for years, we've watched the breakaway momentum amongst advisors accelerate more and more every year. But 
for the first probably eight years of it, the management, the leaders at the major firms all sort of pooted, if you will. Ah, it's just, you know, the advisors we wanted to lose, planned attrition. It's only one advisor out of a million or whatever it is. And it's hard to argue now. And I think the greatest endorsement of the space is when respected leaders like you look to join it as well. So tell us a little bit about Sanctuary, if you would. How does it differentiate itself from other service providers and platform firms in a crowded and competitive marketplace? Yeah, that's a great question, Mindy. I think we're unique. I know we don't want to be a service provider, nor do we want to be a platform provider. What we really want to be is a partnership, and we believe in a model that we call partnered independence. And it's it's really a network of partnered firms that uh, operate as a hybrid RAA but more than just an aggregator, you know, we have an investment bank, we have an investment solutions group, we have an tax and accounting group, we have a family office group. And our belief is, is that great advisors want the freedom, they want the flexibility, and they want the control to brand and build their practice. But they also want a partnership to somebody to help them, not only just with the compliance and the operations and some of the back office stuff that service providers provide, but also to grow. You know, if I look back on my career, I think what I'm the most proud of was recruiting a lot of, you know, two and $3 million teams that became five and $10 million teams. And I think there's a unique opportunity right now in this space to attract teams that honestly are a little bit stalled right now at the wirehouse. They just don't have the freedom and the flexibility to build a brand or to market in a way that's effective. And we think that there's a partnership and an opportunity that can allow us to be a very successful practice, but I think more importantly, allow them to create a bespoke experience that really allows their business to grow and thrive. So how many advisors today are associated with your firm and how much in assets under management? Yeah, so today we have about 75 advisors. We had a, a W-2 business that we bought into, which was about 50 advisors. But I think most proudly over the last six months since we've launched Sanctuary, which is the, the high net worth and institutional of our practice, we've added 22 new advisors and eight teams, and our AUM now is approaching uh, $6 billion. So we're really on a, a great growth streak and a great growth tra- trajectory, and I think you know the momentum is, is, is actually far surpassed, I think, what we, would, we thought we would see so early. Yeah, that's fabulous, because we know also that in this space, it's pretty critical to come out of the gate strong when you're the new kid in the block, and so that's impressive. Good <laughs> for you. Good for you. So I know that Sanctuary has a relationship with David Noyes, the broker dealer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to because it's a unique story and I think a good one. So David Noyes was a 110-year-old firm that was very simplistic. Uh, It was your traditional old broker-dealer firm and was owned by an 84-year-old patriarch who was a great person but was looking to transition. And so uh, I had the opportunity to be contacted by Chris and Brian Cook of the Cook Financial Group, about a $2 billion team that had left Wells Fargo. And uh, they asked me if I would would join them and help build out uh, what we now refer to as sanctions. And we were lucky enough to partner and find uh, Matt Reynolds, who is one of the initial three founders of Hightower. And the three of us came together and I was on a non-compete for a while. And so we were we were consulting and strategizing uh, around what this might look like. And so we made the decision to buy into David A. Noise. And the reason we did that was, you know, candidly, if we launched our own firm, it was probably a two to three year time frame to get everything launched. And with what was going on in the protocol and just the massive amount of frustration in the wirehouse, we felt like we needed to get up, get set up quickly. And so Noise had the corporate REA, Noise had the, uh, the, the broker dealer, they had the investment bank, we were able to acquire a tax and accounting firm. So it just gave us the infrastructure to build what we needed to build and get to market quickly. We don't truly see the W2 model, which was the more traditional 
traditional way that Noise did business as part of our future. We'll continue to support the great advisors that are there. But our future is really a 1099 independent model where we do this partnered independence to support uh, the teams that we work with and the partners that we work with. But Noise was just a great company without really a strategy to move forward. It was a great opportunity of us to uh, be able to buy into this business and rebrand it and relaunch it. So who are the ideal advisors for the model? The ideal for advisors for us are, are pretty simple. We're looking for teams that are primarily one to ten million dollars in revenue, that are seventy to eighty percent fee base, that lead with financial planning, and then I think most importantly, Mindy, they have an outside designation, whether that's a SEMA or a CFP or CPWA, CFA, CPA. Because honestly, when I look at my biggest frustrations as a wirehouse leader. It was the fact that we had to make rule and rule and regulation on the least common denominator. The belief I have, and and I hold it near and dear, is that stunts your growth. And it's also the reason that most advisors are incredibly frustrated. So for us, if our least common denominator is, you know, a CFP or a CFA or a SEMA, they've got their own standard. That defines what that least common denominator is. And we can give them a lot more freedom to operate and a lot more control of their practice to go out and, uh, and to grow it. And I think more importantly, serve clients. And so that's the model that we're looking for. We do believe that, that the broker dealer is important. We believe in the hybrid model because there are some things that clients need. So for us, we get up every day thinking about uh, how to build the best toolbox. And we think that toolbox is built the best built for that profile that we just described. You talk about some extraordinary growth out of the gate. Have you had a lot of traction with wirehouse advisors that either worked for you at Merrill or knew you from all the years you spent on Wall Street? Yeah, it's been overwhelming. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, we thought we had a really good model. We thought that uh, we were in the right spot. But when we opened our door and began to tell our story, the amount of, of traction that we've had has is, is just been phenomenal. And in fact, in, you know, we opened that basically, you know, with the end of May, 1st of June. And so in six months, adding eight teams and 22 professionals in our pipeline is incredibly strong behind that. And so it's not just Merrill Lynch. It's certainly, I think, across the street, wirehouses in general, you know, whether it be the protocol or whether it be the frustration around the comp plan changes, you know, people are looking for freedom and flexibility and they really want control of their future. And And, uh, you know, I think Schwab got it right when they said, own your tomorrow. That's what we're finding. As we talk to a lot of these people, they want to own their tomorrow. And the only way to do that, candidly, is the independent space. Yeah. And to me, what's so profound about it all is that when I started this business 20 years ago, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary, in fact. But when I started the business, the thing that drove wirehouse advisors most was the deal. Today, while the economics of a deal are certainly important because people leave behind an amount of unvested deferred comp and moving is a hassle and risky and all of that, the, the primary driver for most people are wanting more freedom and control and how better they can serve their clients. So I agree with you 100%. You're right that that's how advisors see it. And as we've said, I think more and more wirehouse managers are seeing it as well. We speak with many of those wirehouse managers who acknowledge where the puck is heading, that more and more top advisors want to become entrepreneurs. And while many of those managers would love to move in that direction too, the financial impact would be just too great to consider it a valid option. Said another way, I guess, an advisor has his book to rely upon, the cash flow from the book. But a manager, especially one who's used to making great money, would be hard-pressed to find a job in the independent space that would offer an equal amount of cash comp. 
So how did you justify the move? And I guess what message would you send to other quality managers thinking and feeling the same as you? Mindy, uh, I talk to these managers all the time. You know, I've got a lot of great relationships and we have the conversation. And honestly, it's just like you said, they're trying to figure that out. And, you know, I think, listen, there's a long term game and there's a short term game. And I, I always tell to people, you know, that the cash port is the short term game. The long term gain is the equity. And so for me, it was truly about building something. And the way that I was able to structure that is, you know, I've got an ownership of the business. And so I had a great career as a leader. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I often look back to a lunch I had with Lyle Lamoth, uh, at a country club in Indianapolis when he convinced me to give up my book and go full-time into management. And as wonderful as it was, I often think, why did I do that? And so for me, this is about rebuilding my book and this is about having a book. And so, you know, I believe in servant leadership and I believe what we're building, each one of our, our partner firms are my clients. And for this to work long-term for us, not only myself, but the entire team has to look at that at that way. And so as I talk to managers, the first thing I tell them is, you know, save your money. So you've got a little uh, uh, powder um, to, to get you through the startup phase. But I think the second part of that that's becoming more and more obvious to me is I think a lot of these great managers are going to bolt on to uh, these companies because what you're seeing, you know, a few years ago, you had a lot of startups and now you're seeing more and more established players come in the independent space. So you recently saw my good friend, Christopher Wee, move from Focus, you know, to Rockefeller. And so you know, I think as these companies scale up and get bigger and they're really focused on growth, reaching out to some of these great managers that have great relationships at the wirehouses is going to be a very smart strategy. And yeah, not make as much, you know, salary, so to speak. But I think the, the total financial package over time, if they're successful, can be two or three times what they would have uh, at the wirehouse today. So I think we're still figuring that out. But I think you're going to see more and more of that in the days ahead. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. And the key is... Everyone, every quality manager would be lying if they said they didn't have an interest in it. I think it's more the ones that will actually make the leap are the ones that are willing to value the long-term upside via equity more than the cash comp. Not everyone can do that. And quite honestly, not everyone should do that. I agree. But let me pivot for a second. So you were an insider at Merrill. You talked about how one of the reasons you joined the breakaway space and built Sanctuary was because you saw the business changing. What changes specifically did you see coming down the pike that factored into your decision to do just what you're doing? Well, I'll maybe answer that by a story. And so we recently recruited a great team. And as I was recruiting this advisor, he's as good as it gets, just unbelievable client service. And he said this to me and it resonated so much because it was exactly what I felt, although I didn't articulate it, he did. And that was, listen, when I joined a wirehouse, I knew it was a big box and that big box kind of gave me safety because as I was building my business, it kept me between the lines, so to speak. But over the years, particularly the last 10 years, that box just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then one day I woke up and I just don't fit in the box anymore. And I think that that is a great example. And so it's interesting. We, we had a nice team join us uh, just last week. And when they came in, they had great success and their clients are all transitioning in. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about it. And, and I asked um, I asked the advisor, Martin, I said, tell me more because I was curious to some of the specifics of conversations. And they used to do these wonderful thing called private dinner clinics. And these private dinner clinics were something where they would invite their clients and prospective clients and they would pick a hot topic of the day or the time and honor and they would talk through it, you know, Martin 
specifically spoke about one, which was, you know, when the Roth opportunity first came about and how that the clients found great value in that education process and how it actually helped them grow their business. But over time, what happened at the wirehouse that they came from was their flexibility got less and less and less. And at the end, they had to stop doing them for the last two or three years because all they could do were these 30 pre-approved programs and they had to stick to a specific script and there couldn't be any Q&A. And so I think that's a great example of a lack of freedom and flexibility and honestly trust for these these advisors, this one being a CFP, to really go out and do what they do. And so I think that's a microcosm of, of things that we see over and over and over where the least common denominator just got so small that a lot of people just gave up hope and just kind of put their head down and went with it. And so to fast forward, look, none of us have a crystal ball, but what else do you expect to change in the wirehouse world? Because you mentioned that, that it wasn't just that the business had changed, but it was what you expected to come down the pike that that contributed to your interest in going elsewhere. So what are we looking at? What do you predict? Well, you know, I've always felt, and I think you know, Dan Sontag, which is a longtime mentor of mine, used to say this. He said, you know, look, when you get this business right, it's a three-legged stool. You know, on one leg of the stool is the client, which is obviously the most important leg. The second leg of the stool is the advisor. And the third leg of the stool is the firm or the shareholder. And I think what we've seen happen across the board in no matter which warehouse you look at, that stool has tipped over because it's become more and more about the firm and the shareholder of that firm and less a balance around the advisor and more importantly, the client. And so whether that be compensation or most recently protocol and a lack of choice for clients to have that, I think you know what you're seeing is less and less flexibility and more and more heavy handedness. And I think that, that people thought the heavy handedness would um, you know, kind of bully people into staying. And what I'm seeing is just the opposite. You know, if you look at the growth of two great companies, Raymond James and Stifle, who have really publicly declared that the clients are yours and we want you to come and we want to give you more freedom and flexibility, they're growing faster than anyone else. And so I think that what you're finding is, is those that are willing to work with the advisors and kind of keep that stool on a three legs are going to have a much brighter future than those who are just worried about driving short-term revenue or putting people in one-year non-solicits to try to intimidate them that they can't go anywhere or suing them when they leave over the protocol. It may feel effective for the very short term, but longer term, I don't think that's the way you're going to grow and build a practice. Yeah, And quite honestly, not even so effective in the short term, because if you look at firms like Morgan and UBS, while the goal of pulling out of protocol was to tie advisors down, in large part, at least at the top of the food chain, it had the opposite effect. It made advisors say, I'll show you. You're going to tell me I can't move? That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so the pulling out of protocol was actually the straw that broke the camel's back for many. So I think you're 100% right. Let me ask you a question. We know that many advisors and managers who spent a lifetime at a brokerage firm like you have drank the Kool-Aid believing that independence is only for small producers, that you can't replicate the sophisticated services or technology or support as an independent, especially when you're servicing a high net worth client base. And also that worry, say if a bear market comes, the entire breakaway population will be sorry. Do you think those statements are valid? You know, first of all, I mean, I got to raise my hand and say, I think I served some of that Kool-Aid. So, um, and honestly, I, I hate that. You know, you don't realize it when you're doing it, but when you step away from the uh, forest a little bit, you realize that that was probably the case. And honestly, you know, I pride myself on being curious, but I kind of beat myself up on the fact that I don't think I was as curious as I should have been. Because when you step away, honestly, I've been blown away and amazed at what the independent space looks like. I always felt that at the Wirehouse uh, and at Merrill Lynch that we had the best technology in the world. And the reality was, as I've stepped away and looked at it, it wasn't even close. 
close. In fact, while we might have had a good brand, the version of that brand that we had was old and dummied down and again to that concept of least common denominator. And so for me to really have the curiosity to study the independent space before we launched Sanctuary and before we really started to build the practice, I was embarrassed that I hadn't been more curious and embarrassed that I hadn't been more open, but amazed at what's out there. And, you know, for people to say that, you know, the independent channel is going to be in trouble, I couldn't disagree more. I think the one thing I've seen in the independent space and with the teams that we we're talking to is the ability to be nimble, the ability to differentiate, the ability to do things in more ways than just the one way that's allowed at some of the larger bureaucratic firms. And so I think anytime you're in a tough market and I lived through some really unique bear markets, the ability to be nimble and the ability to adjust is going to be an advantage for these independent firms, not a disadvantage. And, you know, I remember being in the wirehouse when we went through bear markets where you're laying off support staff and support staff and it's a really tough time. So I'm not saying it'll be easy anywhere, but I don't think it'll be any harder in the independent space. I think they'll actually have better tools and better uh, freedom and, and control to go out and help people than they will be at one of the larger firms. I actually really have to agree with you. I think that the people that worry or fret or use as an excuse not to move in the direction of independence, that the wheels will fall off the bus if there's a financial crisis again, God forbid, or I serve, I would love to do it, but I serve an X kind of client base and can't, are really the unindoctrinated, the people that haven't taken the time to get educated. But I'm a fatalist, and I think everybody gets educated <laughs> at exactly the right time when they're meant to. And so you got here exactly when you were meant to. What do you think, Jim, are some of the things that advisors can do as an independent that they couldn't do as an employee at a wirehouse? I think the first thing, it's obvious, but I think it has to be said, is they can control their compensation. Uh, I think the advisors I'm talking to are just frustrated and tired of the game plan. If you do this and you do this, then you might get this. And the best FAs, they don't want to waste their time with that. They want to serve their clients and they usually want to do it uh, in a fee-based environment. And they don't want to have to worry about checking four boxes and then you know jumping over two hoops and backwards for a somersault to get paid. They just really want to run a business and serve their clients. And so I think the number one thing that they can control their compensation, and I think more and more people are seeing that, they don't want to worry about referrals. They don't want to worry about bringing in a $250,000 account if they're really in the business of serving $5 million families. And so I think that's the number one thing that, that they can do. But I think the other thing that they can do is they can reimagine their business so that it meets the needs of their clients. And so one of the teams that we recently brought in does a lot of Roth IRA planning. And it was an interesting conversation I had with this person as they came in because one of their frustrations were um, at the firm they were at, they couldn't do any backdoor Roth planning. And they said to me, Jim, I'm a CFP. I have this requirement. I have this oath that I've taken that I'll provide these services, yet I'm in conflict with them because my firms tell me that I can't do that. And so I think the greatest thing that you can do as an independent advisor is you can add value in the way that the client wants it and needs it not in the way that the firm you're at wants you to serve it. And so the flexibility and control, I'm saying those things over and over, but they're really important because I think that's really what clients want. Clients that are in the institutional and high net worth markets want bespoke experiences. They want experiences that are customized for them. And what's happening more and more at the wirehouse is cookie cutter, cookie cutter, cookie cutter. Here's how I want you to handle every client. And I think the best advisors lose so much value of their value proposition when they're forced to do that, that they're waking up and realizing they need to take control and they really need to go out and, and figure out what technology is best for them, what platform is best for them, and go out and serve their clients in the best that they can. This might be obvious, but as a follow-up, how do you think that the ability to 
open the door and have more freedom and control and create the spoke experience. I know sanctuary is new, but how do you expect that those things will actually impact growth and client loyalty for the advisors you recruit? Yeah, great example. I was just having that conversation actually this morning with one of our teams and we were talking about the private dinner clinics earlier. And you know, the reality was in Martin's, you know, clientele is getting older and older. And in the old world, they used to be able, they used to do these private dinner clinics. They'd go to a nice steakhouse or whatever, and they would have a nice dinner. But I think the future, as we were talking about it today, is actually to do a webcast and to do that webcast where there's live Q&A, where clients can sit in their own living rooms and participate or because they also have a lot of corporate executives that are really busy. They can watch that webcast on these important topics while they're on their plane flying from X to Y. And so I think what you really have when you talk about this bespoke experience is the ability to use technology and the ability to use a service model that is not limited by the worst FA in the worst place in your firm. Because that's at most of the warehouses, that's what the rules are written for. And so to get free of that is really where the largest opportunity lies for most of these advisors. And then what happens is they get to independence and they find their energy again. Their mindset starts up and they start to, instead of being shut down, they start to think about all the possibilities about building their brand and using technology. And all of a sudden they're in ultra growth mode. We've seen that already in just a short time. We've had our doors open. Not only are they bringing business over, but once they're here, they're opening a lot of new business that they really weren't able to open before. Thank you for that. Let's pivot for a minute to sanctuary itself. So, look, I'm amazed in the last decade or so how much this cottage industry born to support the breakaway movement has expanded and actually made it possible for many folks who would have loved to go independent years ago to do so. But one of the internal debates, I guess, that every advisor goes through when thinking about going independent is, am I a rugged individualist, as Cheryl Penny calls it, and want to build it myself, partnering with the custodian and vetting every vendor and pulling it all together? Or do I want to use a service provider or platform firm or partner with a firm like Sanctuary, for example? So here's my question. Most would agree that hiring someone to turnkey the setup is important, almost indispensable. But what of the value add that a firm like Sanctuary can bring to the table once an advisor is an established as an independent and past the first six months? Yeah, so that's a great question. And let me back up just a minute and, and say, Mindy, I think one of the things I love about the independent space the most is the openness and the support that we all have. I mean, I admire greatly what Cheryl's done at Dynasty and what Focus has done. And I think Rockefeller's going to absolutely kill it in, in the space. And so it's different because when I was at Merrill, we were the red jersey and Morgan was a blue jersey. There was no working together. And the same, I think, would be said with UBS or what have you. And so I, I really believe, as you think about the independent space, there is this pool of frustrated people and there's plenty for all of us. And so I think there's a lot of rugged individualists who are absolutely going to want to start their own business and are going to uh, thrive in that and have great success. Um, I think there are you know, others that, that maybe aren't quite big enough for, for our model and what we're targeting that are going to use someone else as a tuck-in or you know, there, there's a lot of options for them. But for us, you know, what we're looking for is that advisor who's been in a wirehouse, who is used to a certain level of support and wants a certain level of support. And they're willing over time to have a partner and they're willing to use our investment bank that they want to use, you know, our investment solutions group. And so, you know, I could mow my yard if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I pay somebody to do that. And so 
our business philosophy is that by finding these people and not only setting them free, but being their partner to help them grow, help them brand, help them market, that this is a partnership that's going to a long time, not two years or five years, but it's a partnership. And to help cement that partnership, when most people join our firm at Sanctuary, we give them equity in the firm. And as we grow this and we aggregate this and we roll this up, everybody's equity is worth you know a lot more than when they got it. And so our belief is really to try our best to build something like Goldman Sachs had before they went public. I mean, that's our dream is that you've got a really a smart group of people who are well-connected with affluence that come together and work together and want to be part of a network. And because, you know, it's interesting, as I started this, Mindy, the biggest surprise to me outside of the technology, which we talked about early, was the amount of independent folks that came to me and said, hey, I'd like to learn more about Sanctuary because I'm all on my own and I'm really tired of the compliance and the regulatory. I'm not spending enough time with my clients. I'm spending so much time on my business. And so I guess the answer in a very long-winded way is, is I think there's opportunity for everybody along this continuum. But for us, we're looking for that wirehouse partner who really wants to control their tomorrow, but wants a partner to help them maximize it. I think that's the role that we play best. Mm, okay. You took the words right out of my mouth when you talk about the fact that part of the compensation package when you recruit an advisor is offering them equity in sanctuary. So how do advisors respond to the offer of equity versus cash? And I'm asking for two reasons. One, because sanctuary is relatively new and it's hard to predict what the value of the equity will be. And two, because I just wrote a piece about this recently that not too long ago, when wirehouse firms made equity or stock in the big banks as part of the compensation package or the recruiting package, that was an absolute non-starter. And 2008 financial crisis proved that stock was worthless. So what do you think has changed and how are prospective recruits or those you've recruited responded to the offer of equity in a new firm? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's interesting. You have a lot of different conversations. You know, I always describe our compensation package or program or partnership as a four lane highway. The first thing and by far the most important thing is you've got your freedom, right? And, and in the independent space, that's usually a two times multiple. And so, you know, with what's going on with the protocol, it's hard for me to believe that these programs like CTP and other programs are going to be valued at what they're worth today. Because if you're in a protocol firm and you sign a one-year non-solicit, like UBS has asked their advisors to sign coming up here in the spring, there's no way that the value of that practice is what it was the day before you signed it. And so I think to most advisors, the number one thing we spend the most amount of talk- talking about is getting out of a wirehouse so that they have control of their practice and they have the freedom. And when they do that, they know, give or take, you know, market valuation changes, what that practice is going to be worth. So by far, that's the most important thing to most of the teams we're talking about. The other three, though, the payout, which is obviously a bit higher, but there's net cost. You have to walk through that. And we do give some cash up front to, re- to replace their deferred comp. But the equity is what I always call the kicker. And it's interesting. I mean, the people we're recruiting are bright people. They see the amount of private equity chasing the RIA space. They see these larger firms aggregating things up. And, you know, most people say, you know, look, I'm going to put it in my financial plan very conservatively. But if this works like we think it's going to work, that could be a real kicker. And at worst case, 
you know, they participate in the cash flow because the worst case for us is we just grow to be a big company. We decide never to sell to anyone or become part of a larger organization, monetize the opportunity, and the team just collects the dividend. And really, that just increases their payout. And so most of the teams we, we talk to and we think about, they, they look at it like you would look at a carry in a VC trade. It's an opportunity that may or may not be there, but uh, it certainly has value and is something that they see, particularly with all the growth we're having, as something that has a, a nice upside. And how could or would an advisor monetize their equity? So one way, obviously, is if you have an event and sell all or part of the company, and that's an opportunity. But what if an advisor wants to retire or in some way wants to monetize that equity before the firm decides to do so? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've copied off of uh, the other great people in the independent space with Dynasty and Focus, and we're seeing a lot of tuck-ins. And then we're also seeing you know, developing in this partner network of member firms that are very hungry to grow. And so I think there's a very vibrant market. And we've written into our operating agreement that somebody wants to monetize their portion of the firm, as long as the board approves it, uh, you can certainly do that. So we've tried to be thoughtful, but what we're finding, and I think it's the value and a little bit of the magic sauce of the network is as we get together these teams for partner meetings, and as we bring them together, they're forming these relationships, and we're already starting to see some mergers happen. And so I think what we've created is a natural market of known businesses to each other other that as somebody wants to retire and i saw this at merrill too so it's not just a phenomenon but i think without the network it's hard to have happen that people are actually standing in line to buy those practices or partner with those practices the the unique thing is as an independent advisor you're doing that in a much more tax efficient way right because it's not earned income it's a capital gain and you can structure it like you would any sell of the business and so it's actually quite an advantage that i think a lot of people as they come over are thinking about is my ability to monetize this practice when and if i'm ready is a lot more flexible in the independent space than it ever was in the earned income space of a wirehouse and so if some wasn't something that i thought about but it's something that's really that conversation i think an advantage for us yeah and as you sit here now, what do you imagine the end game for Sanctuary is? Is the plan to be bought out by a private equity firm? Is the plan to remain private? And what does that look like? You know, I don't think it's to be bought out by a private equity firm. I think many of us laugh a little bit here, but, um, you know, we, we all came from firms that we felt had gotten too bureaucratic. And so uh, the last thing that most of us are looking forward to is going back into an environment where we don't have control. But I do think that, uh, you know, our plan for a really long time is to grow this. And I think we think we've got a really long runway and there's a just a, an amazing amount of demand to go into the independent space. So we're kind of in the, the right crossroads at the right time. And so for us, the plan is to own this business for a really long time and to distribute the income and the cash flow be out there that was a, a large agger that we had a lot of respect for that would allow the partners to keep their own independence that uh, we wouldn't uh, consider that because I think it's undeniable that the independent space is going to scale up and there's going to become players and that, that have more scale and more opportunity and at the end of the day as I said earlier I think my responsibility and my team's responsibility is to put forth the best platform and the best environment for our advisors to grow so I think we're just going to have to monitor that and see what happens because you're seeing more and more players come into the space. I agree with that. And so what do you think the future holds for the RIA industry as a whole? Do you expect the momentum to continue? I do. I think the baseball analogy, since we're in the playoff season, I think it's the third inning at best. I think you're going to see more and more people participate. I think like most things in life today, technology is a big driver of that. And as technology allows you to, to have more freedom, it also allows you to be more compliant. I think that's going to drive that. And I think that what's going to drive it the most is I believe in my heart that's what clients want. They want a bespoke experience with unconflicted advice, with an open architecture 
architecture and they want to know that you sat down with Fidelity, Schwab and TD and you did a deep dive on, the, on their platform and you picked this because you thought it was best for your clients. I think they want that versus saying, here's the platform that you have to have because you're in a captive environment. And so I think it's really early innings for the uh, independent game. You're seeing more and more money being put behind it. There's not a week that doesn't go by that we don't get a call from somebody trying to give us capital, um, you know, and we're well capitalized. We haven't and don't plan to take that. But at the same time, I think it speaks to the fact that uh, the future is much more in the independent space than it is, uh, I think, in the captive market. Yeah, no, I can't say I disagree with you. So before we wrap up, any final words of advice you'd want to share with quality captive advisors at a traditional brokerage firm who are thinking about joining the breakaway momentum? Yeah, I, I would tell them to look in the mirror. You know, um, I, I think there's a lot of people out there, Mindy, that uh, aren't their best self right now. They're terrific advisors who have settled. They've settled for the rules that have been put in front of them. And like myself, they, they, they've lost a bit of their curiosity. They've lost a little bit of their um, ability to do what made them so successful. And I think for great advisors today who are curious and who are ambitious and who are tech savvy, uh, I think the, the, their future is so bright. And so I think for a lot of people, they've just gotten comfortable. Um, you know, they're, they're tired. They've tried to do things and they've been told no, no over and over. And I would just tell them that there, that there are yeses out there and you can do them in a very compliant way. It's called the independent model. And um, but I think you've got to look in the mirror and really ask yourself, am I the best me? And I think when a lot of people do that, they really would answer um, a they're not the best themselves and B, they're not really having much fun. Um, and I'll tell you. Since I've made this change, it's the most fun I've ever had. Um, and the teams that come over are saying the same thing. Um, and so I, I, I do think it's a great opportunity, but I think people have to pause for a minute and ask themselves, you know, am I truly living up to my potential? Love it. Jim, thank you so much for all your wonderful answers. We are certainly wishing you much success. We're excited to continue to see Sanctuary grow and do wonderful things and look forward to having you as a guest five years from now to tell us where you're at then. I love it, Mindy. Thank you for all you're doing and uh, look forward to hearing from you each and every time you put something out. It's terrific work and uh, it's greatly appreciated by all of us in the independent side. Jim saw the wirehouse world change, with a cultural shift of managing to the least common denominator escalating every day. The safety of the big box that once provided a place for advisors to build a business and thrive grew smaller and smaller until it was a box he and many advisors no longer fit in, to use his own words. At the major firms, the balance of advisors, clients, and firms has shifted, and the three-legged stool, as he puts it, has tipped over. It's more and more about the firm and shareholders, and less about serving clients and compensating advisors. The wirehouse world has become one that is ruled by heavy-handed compliance and intimidation, short-term tactics that are stripping advisors of their freedom and flexibility and driving them away. Jim once drank the Kool-Aid and has since stepped away to build a better toolbox for advisors to grow and thrive. And we look forward to watching Sanctuary continue to do great things and recruit top advisor talent. In our next episode, Lewis Diamond will lead a discussion about the real differences between the IBD and RIA space with someone who has seen both sides, special guest Alex Goss of Goss Advisors. Alex started as an employee advisor at Wells Fargo, then made the shift to their independent broker-dealer model, Finet, before launching a super successful RIA. 
It'll be an interesting and relatable conversation, so I hope you'll join us. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank WealthManagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.